Today, I am continuing my teaching through a series that I've entitled Harnessing Your Emotions. And I haven't got time to go back and rehearse or review everything, but basically I've just been talking about the very first thing we point we made was that the Lord held us accountable for our emotions. Most people do not feel accountable. They would like to have good emotions, but they just feel like that it's totally dependent on what happens to them. And I debunked that from Scripture and showed you that God told you, gave you a command to rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Jesus said in John chapter 16, verse 33, In the world you will have tribulations, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. So the very first thing I did was just show that emotions are not like the caboose that just follow whatever goes on in our life. They're more like the engine. I also showed that you conceive sin in your emotions out of James chapter 1. I've been talking about some differences between psychology and Christianity. And I know that this is offensive to a lot of people because our culture, even our Christian culture, has embraced psychology and many of the attitudes that are promoted in psychology are promoted today without question even among Christians and that is not biblical. There is a huge difference between psychology's approach. For one thing, they say that it's just your environment. They don't, they don't exalt people to the position of being in the image of God and having an inner man that is able to overcome things. They look at you as nothing but an evolved animal and say that you are just a product of your environment. You can't help it. And this has led to so many wrong concepts in our society today where people are blaming others for everything that happens. Anyway, I went through a bunch of that in this previous teaching. What I want to do now is to talk about a fourth difference between true Christianity and psychology. And specifically, I'm going to be talking about self-esteem. And of course, self-esteem, even when I mention that, probably the majority of people watching this program just immediately say, but you're supposed to have a positive self-esteem. I don't believe you're supposed to hate yourself. I do, I do agree with that. And I think that there are religious people that have gotten to the point that they put themselves down and they actually cultivate a culture of condemnation and guilt and unworthiness. And I believe that the New Testament just totally sets us free from that. And so I would agree with a portion of this statement that you aren't supposed to hate yourself, but the Scripture does teach that we are not supposed to esteem and glorify ourselves either. Actually, as I get on further into this, I'm going to be talking and showing you from Scripture that the Bible teaches us Christ-esteem instead of self-esteem. It teaches us to be confident of who we are in Christ, our new identity in Christ, this new man. But we are not supposed to revere and promote and be self-centered and selfish the way that it's being popularly presented today. And I know that these are radical statements and there's probably many people and you have just bought into this that you are supposed to just really love yourself and feel good about yourself at all costs. If you believe that, it has some very, very negative effects in your life. And this is actually the source of all of your problems is, the, is your love for yourself. Again, I'm not talking about self-hatred, but I am talking about a proper esteem of self, a proper placement 
of your attention and focus on yourself. Let me just start reading some scriptures. And if you have any commitment to the Word of, Word of God at all, this should impact you. I hate to say this, but there's a lot of Christians. I, I just recently have had some things happen with people who are very good friends of mine. And I mean major, major differences of opinion on things. And as I begin to start reasoning with them out of Scripture, they just basically, well, the Bible is not infallible. It is not something that you can trust. And so if they have a feeling or something that is contrary to Scripture, well, then they just reject it. They only pick the pieces of Scripture that suit their position. And these are people who love God. These are people who are friends of mine. And I just, I hate that. I think that that is terrible. For you to just, in a sense, what you do is make yourself God. You are the plumb line. And you decide what's proper and what's not proper. You don't have any authority outside of yourself. And so you just choose what you want. And I would say that that's basically the way that the vast majority of people are. Even a large segment of Christians are like this. They only take the scriptures that fit what they want. And so... If you're one of those that the Word of God is optional to you and you only use it if it, you know, goes the way that you want it to, this may not impact you. But if you have any commitment to the Word of God as being the true Word of God, as being infallible, as being God's direction for us, well, then I challenge you with these scriptures. And I'm going to just use a portion of this uh, Right here, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 are the verses that literally changed my life. When God gave me a revelation of this, it started everything. And then in verse 3, it says, For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. Now, again, there's a lot of things I could say right there, but one of the points I'm wanting to point out is that, again, psychology just pushes this self-esteem, and you have to feel good about yourself. You have to have this great opinion of yourself, and psychology goes to huge lengths to try and diminish any negatives, and you've got to feel good about yourself. This has led to, in our society today, we don't anymore... Uh, you know, re, uh, give people awards for being the winner. Everybody's a winner. We don't want anybody to feel bad about themselves. And that's just not realistic. It's not healthy. And uh, anyway, I'm, I'm going to mention that more. But this says that you need to not think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. This says that there is a right way to think about yourself. Again, I don't think we're supposed to hate ourselves. I think we are supposed to, in, rel in relation to our commitment and love to God, we are supposed to hate ourselves and our own life and our own desires. And I'll use a scripture on that in just a few moments where Jesus said that same thing. So relative speaking, relative to our commitment to God, well, then we ought to hate our own lives and anything else that we've got. But we aren't supposed to just think bad of ourselves. You know, one of the Old Testament scriptures says that you're supposed to love your neighbor as yourself. If you hate yourself, well, then that means that you are going to hate your neighbor. This, you are supposed to have a decent opinion about yourself. You know, what establishes your worth and value is what somebody is willing to pay for you. You know, you can take a little baseball card 
that you bought in a packet of gum. I remember when I was a kid, we used to buy gum and it'd have these baseball cards in it and we'd trade the baseball cards. And the whole packet of gum and the baseball card cost a penny. And so it was less than one penny. And yet here we are decades later though and some of those cards are worth millions of dollars. Not because that the material in that card, the picture printed on it is that special or anything. It's because this is what people are willing to pay for it. The value of something is determined by what people are willing to pay for that. And the very fact that God Himself sent Jesus to die for us places a value on us that is awesome. Every one of us. God thought you were worth the sacrifice of His own Son. So that places a huge value on you. So I'm not saying that you hate yourself But I am saying that the way that we have had self-promoted, it is more important than anything else. You know, the average person, this old saying about how many people does it take to screw in a light bulb? The average person, it only takes one because you just stand there and hold it and the world revolves around you. I mean, that's the attitude that the average person has is that they are the center of the universe and everything just revolves around them. They approach everything totally from a selfish standpoint. The scripture says that that's wrong. You are not supposed to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. And that rubs psychology the wrong way. Here's another verse in 1 John chapter 2. In verse 15, it says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the Father is not in him. The love of the Father is not in him. Now that's a big statement right there. We could probably spend a lot of time defining what it's talking about, loving the world. This isn't talking about just this natural world, the, you know, the um, nature and the mountains and the trees and things like this. This is just talking about the world system, the way that things operate in this world. This is a fallen world and we aren't supposed to set our affection on it. We are supposed to be strangers and pilgrims. We're supposed to have a different attitude. Uh, it, you know, Uh, Abraham was modeled in Hebrews chapter 11 and it says he set his affection on a heavenly city that had uh, foundations whose builder and maker was God and he was a stranger and a pilgrim here on this earth. We're supposed to have that kind of an attitude. We aren't supposed to be at home in a fallen world. Now we are supposed to be the salt of the earth. We are supposed to have a positive influence but I'm saying that You don't hate the world in that sense, but at the same time, you just can't love it. We need to recognize that this is a fallen world. The way things operate are not the way that God intended. God's got something better planned for us, and we don't need to love the world. It goes on to say in the next verse, For all that is in the world, and it lists three things, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. This right here lists the pride of life as being a negative thing that we are not supposed to have. And it says it is not of the Father, but it is of the world. Again, most people, they have a pride, a focus, an excitement about this physical life that is inordinate. It is not the way God intended us to be. And I know that by me saying this, that there's a lot of people sitting here and thinking, well, this is not what I believe. But this is what the Word says. Tell me what what it's saying differently than what I'm saying. 
It says, don't love the world because all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but it is of the world. Did you know that this is exactly what the original temptation was to Adam and Eve? You can turn over to Genesis chapter 3, and the serpent came against Eve and said, uh, eat of this fruit. And she said, God told us we can't eat of this fruit because in the day we eat there, I will die. And the serpent just lied and said, that is not true. That is not true. The reason God told you not to eat of this fruit is because he knows that in the day you eat of it, you will be like God. Another way of saying this is, is God has held something back from you. God is not wanting you to reach your full potential. And you know what? Eve believed this talking snake. She doubted God who had never been anything but good to her and thought that she could be better off on her own. She exalted her own opinion above God. She discounted the Word of God. And she began to trust in herself. What, another way of saying that is that it was the pride of life. She, she thought, I could be more. I could have more. I could have all of these things. I could be like God. The truth is she was more like God before she ate of the fruit than she was after she ate of the fruit. And we still have this same temptation going on today. Did you know that Jesus had three temptations against him? This is listed in Matthew chapter 4 and in Luke chapter 4. There were three temptations against Jesus and they, they correspond perfectly to this. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. It says in Hebrews chapter 4 that Jesus was tempted in all points like as we are yet without sin. Was Jesus tempted with, you know, going out and committing adultery on his mate? Well, he never was married. So no, that temptation wasn't there. Was he tempted with uh, drugs? Was he tempted with some of the things, you know, the stress of sitting in traffic and all of this stuff? And yet the Bible says he was tempted in all points. That's because, you, you know, you can sit here and talk about specific things that you deal with, but if you just keep peeling back the layers, every temptation, every problem that we have goes right back to the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. There's really only three areas. Jesus was tempted in all three of these areas. This is what happened to Adam and Eve. It's what's happening to you and me. And I'm telling you, the pride of life is not a good thing. Now again, I believe that we're supposed to be thankful for our life. I believe that we're supposed to celebrate the fact that God has given us life that God not only gave us our physical life, but our new born again life. We're supposed to celebrate that. We're supposed to use it. I am not a sad, beat down person at all. I'm excited about what God is doing. My future is so bright. I've got to squint to look at it. But I am more excited about what God has prepared for me in eternity. What, all, what we've experienced down here at the very best is not even worthy to be compared with all of the glory that God has set for us. And I believe that the proper attitude of a Christian shouldn't be so focused on this life. We ought to constantly live with eternity in our hearts, recognizing that we're just here for a short period of time. And we need to hold all of these things, the assets, the physical things, friendships, and other things that God gives us. We need to hold them very loosely because they aren't permanent. 
The only thing that's permanent is our relationship with God and our eternity in the future. And so anyway, I say all of these things that this is what this is saying is that we shouldn't be so focused on this physical life that we forget our spiritual life, our eternity with the Lord, what's really important. It's not just going on a vacation. It's not just making money. It's not just having toys and things. We need to keep our eyes focused on eternal things, not the temporary things of this life. And on and on we could go. There are just so many things. And um, let me give you some of these other ones here. In um, Matthew chapter 16, let me turn over and read this. This is Jesus speaking. And in Matthew chapter 16 and in verse 24, it says... Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. Now let me ask you, how does that square with what's commonly said about self-esteem? and just thinking good about yourself. Jesus is saying that you cannot be His disciple unless you deny yourself, unless you take up your cross. You know what a cross is? It's something that you die on. There's other scriptures that talk about you have to die to yourself. You have to die to your own wishes and things. One of the things that I've learned that God has just worked mightily in my life is that I had my own plans my own things. But when I encountered God in a significant way, the very first thing I did was just put it all on the table and say, God, every plan, every goal that I've ever had or anything, I give it up. I die to myself. I die to my own plans. What do you want me to do? And I started living for God and not living for myself. That goes contrary to this self-esteem that society is promoting. Again, I know that this is just a shock to many people and you're thinking, well, this is not the way I've thought, but we need to get in line with what God's Word says. Look over here in Luke chapter 14 and here's another passage of Scripture. I made reference to this earlier, but in Luke chapter 14 and in verse 26, it says, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother, and wife, and children, and brethren, and sisters, yea, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Again, the cross is talking about something that you die on. This is talking about dying to yourself, dying to your own things. You can't be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ if you don't deny yourself. How does this fit with what's taught on self-esteem? Let me put this together with Matthew chapter 10 because I don't want somebody to get the wrong impression. But in Matthew chapter 10 and in verse 37, Jesus, this is the exact same instance. It's just recorded by Matthew instead of Luke. And here's the way that Matthew recorded it. It says, He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. So this is the exact same instance. It's just put in different words. And what it's showing is that it's saying you have to love God more than your father, your mother, your wife, your children, your own life. It's not saying that you hate yourself. It's a relative statement. 
When over here in Luke chapter 14, when he says, if you don't hate your own life, you cannot be my disciple. It's a relative statement. Relative to my commitment to God, I would l gladly lay down my life, sacrifice myself, my own plans, and subject everything that I want for myself and follow God. Now, I, I know that there's people watching this that says, well, you can't know for sure that that had happened. That's my commitment. And I tell you, I've lived it to a large degree. I've, ha I've had lots of opportunities where it looked like following God was going to get me killed. And yet I went ahead and followed Him. And I'm con confident that, you know, as I'm growing in the Lord, that if uh, in the future something happened, I would follow through the same way that I have in the past. Now, if I failed, it wouldn't be God's fault. It'd be my fault. But I'm saying that's the commitment that I've got. And this is, I believe, what every disciple is supposed to do. This does not square with this self-esteem. People who are into the promotion of self and feeling good about themselves, and it's always about self, I guarantee you it, does, it is not compatible with the Scriptures. Now, I'm not saying that, that serving God is going to be just a downer and it's always going to be a disappointment and always bad. No, but what it is, God changes your heart. You know, if you would have told me prior to my total commitment to God that I'd be doing what I'm doing, I might have looked at this as being, well, that's not a very good life. But when I committed my life to the Lord, God put His desires in my heart, and I am just thrilled. I am excited about my life and what God has done with me and the way that it's touching other people and the good that's coming out of it. So it may look bad from a carnal standpoint, but when you make Jesus your Lord and you serve Him with all of your heart and you die to yourself and you put Him first, uh, it will actually go to being the most rewarding life you'll ever have. And yet the mantra of this world today is it's in finding your life that it's all about. No, Jesus said it's in losing your life that you really find it. You've got to have something bigger than yourself. And sad to say, most Christians had bought into this same lie, and so I'm trying to deal with this. I'm using a bunch of scriptures. I originally had eight pages of scriptures here that I printed out, and this by no means was all of them, but these were just scriptures on pride that really ministered to me. I cut them down to four pages, and yet that's still a huge amount of scriptures. First of all, let me just start with the dictionary definition of pride. And this is when it's used as a verb. When pride is used as a verb, it means to indulge in self-esteem glory. And we were, this is what I'm talking about. The psychology preaches self-esteem. The Bible talks about self-esteem totally different, that we are to deny ourselves. And, and according to this definition, it's actually pride when you are esteeming yourself and promoting yourself. It's not all about you. It's not all about get as much as you can and then can all that you get and then sit on your can. That is not the way that we are supposed to live. It's in denying ourselves. It's in putting other people ahead of ourselves that we truly find out what life is all about. So let me use just some scriptures here. And again, I say that there are hundreds of scriptures on this. These are just some of the ones that I thought would minister to you the most. Psalms chapter 10. Verse 2 says, For the wicked boasteth of his heart's desire, and blesseth the covetous whom the Lord abhorreth. You know, this boasting here is just, again, talking about pride 
uh, the pride of life, promoting yourself, esteeming yourself, and you bless the covetous which the Lord abhors. Colossians 3, 5 says that covetousness is as idolatry. Covetousness is in epidemic proportions in the United States and most of the developed Western world today. It's all about covetousness. It goes on to say in verse 4, it says, The wicked through the pride of his countenance will not seek after God. God is not in all of his thoughts. So what this is saying is that self-centeredness is pride. This is talking about pride, but notice it says that he's not seeking after God. He's not, God's not in all of his thoughts. This is so descriptive of most people today. And you know why? Because it's all about themselves. They are out, they are working day and night to try and get all of the things that they think are going to make them happy. And yet they're miserable. They aren't finding satisfaction in these things. It's because if you are all wrapped up in yourself, you make a very small package. It's not all about you. It's not all self-esteem. It's not all pride, which is to indulge in self-esteem. It says in Psalms chapter 40, verse 4, Blessed is the man that maketh the Lord his trust and respecteth not the proud, nor such as turn aside to lies. This is talking about that we shouldn't respect the proud. Now, we're supposed to love them. We're supposed to love all people. We're supposed to be an example and reach out to them. But you know what? In our society today, the proud are glorified. They're the ones that get on the magazine covers. They're the ones that make all the news broadcasts. The people that are promoting themselves and just glorifying in themselves and glorying in themselves, drawing all of the attention to themselves, those are the people that are revered and honored. Those are the ones that get the posters made about them. The people that are heroes to young people and stuff is people that are out there just promoting themselves. Humility is not something that is really respected today. And this says that the Lord will bless the man that makes him his trust and respecteth not the proud. We are not supposed to glorify and promote and respect people who are just all about themselves. Psalms 101 verse 5 says, Whoso privately, privately slandereth his neighbor, him will I cut off. Him that hath a high look and a proud heart will I not suffer. This is giving you God's attitude about pride. You know, you could put with this over in, uh, I think it's 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. But it says, what do you have that you didn't receive? What do you have that makes you differ from another? What do you have that you didn't receive? And if you received it, well, then why are you glorying, or in other words, esteeming yourself, patting yourself on the back as if you hadn't received it? The truth is, any good thing that's in any of us, we got it because of God. God is the one that gave you your health. God's the one that caused you to be able to prosper. If you do have natural talents, if you have developed your mind and are prospering, if you have a doctor's degree or whatever it is that you've accomplished, God is the one who gave you these advantages and stuff. And why are you glorying and, and esteeming yourself as if you had not received it? Boy, that's, that's a big statement right there. This is saying that the Lord hates a high look and a proud heart. He will not suffer. Here's the way the Amplified Bible translates that verse. It says, Whosoever privately slanders his neighbor, him will I cut off from me. He who has a haughty look and a proud and arrogant heart, I cannot and will not tolerate. 
You could put that together with James chapter 4 and also 1 Peter chapter 5. They both say the same thing. It says, God resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. When you are promoting yourself, when you are all thinking about self, when it's all self-esteem and self-promotion, God resists that. Boy, that's a huge statement right there. Almighty God puts Himself against people who are just full of themselves. I'm telling you, if you are sitting on the throne of your life, you are hurting yourself. The way to really find your life is to lose your life, to get off of that throne and let God take that position. He should be the one that you glorify and worship and not yourself. Psalms 119 verse 21 says, Thou hast rebuked the proud that are cursed, which do err from thy commandments. The Lord hath placed our curse upon Jesus, Galatians 3.13. So we aren't going to be cursed the way that this is talking about. In the new covenant, Jesus made a difference. Yet, even though God's removed the curse and placed it on Jesus, it's still something that's displeasing to Him. It says that they are cursed. In Psalms 138, verse 6, it says, Though the Lord be high, yet hath He respect unto the lowly, but the proud he knoweth afar off. Man, I don't want God to know me afar off. I want to be close to the Lord. And you know what will drive him afar off is your pride, your arrogance, your self-esteem. Proverbs chapter 6 verse 16 says, These six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him, a proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that be swift in running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among the brethren. So this is listed as one of the things that the Lord hates is a proud look. Proverbs chapter 8, verse 13, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogancy, and the evil way and the forward mouth do I hate. Let me just ask you this. Do you really hate pride? I would suspect that most people probably say yes because of the connotation that's associated with pride. We think of it as arrogance and stuff like this. But in practice, I would say that the average person absolutely embraces pride. And this psychology that has promoted self-esteem and you feeling good about yourself, there are people that have heard this and they actually believe that the promotion of self is all godly, that it's really a good thing. You know, I was in a store and I heard a man talking to a woman. I didn't get the whole conversation, but he was saying, if I don't take care of myself, who will? I've got to promote myself. I've got to take care. I've got to do this. And you could tell that this was just his heart cry. And yet that's not the way that a Christian should be. It says over in Romans chapter 12 that vengeance is mine, thus saith the Lord. I will repay. It's, Jesus told us when somebody smites you on one cheek, turn the other and let him hit that cheek also. Jesus said that when somebody sues you at the law and takes your coat, give them your cloak also. In other words, instead of promotion of self, taking care of self, exalting self, self-esteem, we need to humble ourselves, and we need to let God be the one that avenges. God said, I will avenge. I will repay. And we need to let God take care of this. You know, I, I don't want to go into detail because I don't want to give away uh, any names or any specifics. But just yesterday, 
I was dealing with a situation where, man, I've been unjustly criticized. And I mean, that's not a subjective opinion on my part. This was stuff that was in the paper. It is absolutely wrong. You could go through and just mark detail after detail after detail. And it was wrong. And you know what? I could set the record straight, but I didn't want to go public and get into a fight with somebody in the papers and make the, I mean, the papers would love it because, man, it would sell papers for me to get into a public argument with somebody else and doing things. And yet at the same time, it was just totally wrong. The things that had been said, it could be proved wrong on so many different levels. And so I was debating and praying about it yesterday. God, what do I do? Do I just turn the other cheek, which I'm willing to do, but does this guy need to be stopped? Does he need to be silenced? Does the truth need to be put out there? And you know what? I basically prayed about it a long time and basically just decided that I'm going to let God take care of it. And you know what that is? That's humbling yourself. Instead of me getting out and having to promote and defend myself, I just humbled myself and said, God, I'm going to let you take care of it. And it turned out that two of the city officials, the main leaders, have, they said, we're going to take care of this. We'll deal with it. They've taken a lot of information from me. They've put it on the city website. And I guarantee you, it's going to be a thousand times better than if I had gotten involved in this myself. But see, most people, pride will cause you to sit there and feel like, I've got to defend myself. I've got to promote myself. If I don't take care of myself, who will? Well, it, that might be true if there wasn't a God who said that vengeance is mine, thus saith the Lord. I will repay. And you just need to let God become your defender. You need to let God take care of things. See, this is what he's talking about. He says that you should hate this pride, this promotion and exalting of yourself. And yet most of us have embraced it to such a degree that if anybody criticizes us, if there's anything put out that could possibly be used against us, most of us don't give God a chance to defend us. We're out there so much defending ourselves and promoting ourselves that God couldn't get a word in edgewise. I'm telling you, that's pride. That's self exaltation. And that's what's being promoted today. I guarantee you the average person wouldn't give God a chance to defend them. You know, I could give you hundreds, literally, I'm not, that's not an exaggeration. It's not a hyperbole. I could give you hundreds of examples where people have come against me and it's done things and I just chose to let it go and to let God be the one to do it. And God has turned the situation around in ways that I never could. God can take care of you better than you can take care of yourself. But if you are full of pride, if you are exalting yourself, if you are going to defend yourself, then there's no need for God to do it. You know, you have to cast your care about these things over on the Lord and free God. Give God the freedom and the liberty to be the one that defends you. But God couldn't get a word in edgewise with most of us because we are so self-centered and so into promoting ourselves. The reason it hurts you so much when people criticize you is because of your selfishness, because of your love for yourself. If you were truly dead to yourself the way that those other verses that I've already used talk about that you have to die to yourself, you have to deny yourself and take up your cross. If you were truly dead to yourself, you wouldn't care so much when somebody says something about you. If you died to yourself, you know, if you had a corpse in front of us right now, 
You could ignore that corpse. You could insult the corpse. You could spit on the corpse. You could hit the corpse. But if it's a corpse, it's not going to respond because it's dead. If you are so hurt by what people have said or done to you or the way they've neglected you or whatever, it's because you haven't died to yourself. It's because you are into this self-esteem. It's because self is so important to you. You need to find that there's something bigger than self, and that's God and other people. Man, I could just say a lot of things about that. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 2 says, When pride cometh, then cometh shame, but with the lowly is wisdom. Are any of you dealing with shame right now? If you are, it's because you're proud. It's because self is such a big thing to you. Did you know when you truly die to yourself, you will make mistakes, you will do things that can bring shame, that can bring embarrassment. But when you are dead to yourself, you can just immediately run back to the Lord and say, God, I messed up again, but praise God for who I am in Christ. Thank you for my identity in you, and you can feel secure, and you can get rid of that shame. If you are living under shame, it's because you're a very proud person. You're a very person who's into esteeming yourself. Proverbs 13.10. Boy, this is a big one. Matter of fact, this little booklet that I've got right here, that's what this whole booklet is about. Self-centeredness, the source of all grief. It's based on this verse, Proverbs 13.10. Only by pride cometh contention, but with the well-advised is wisdom. Man, this is a huge statement. It says only by pride. It didn't say pride is the leading cause or one of the main reasons It says only by pride, self-esteem, self-promotion comes strife. Man, that is huge. I had a guy come up to me one time and he says, look, I've listened to what you said, but I can guarantee you I don't have pride. He says, if anything, I've got low self-esteem. He says, I just hate myself. I'm constantly down on myself, and yet I'm a very angry person. He gave me examples of how he lost his temper. And I had to redefine pride for him because pride isn't only exalting yourself, but pride is also hating yourself and debasing yourself. It's like you got this stick here. And you know, there's one end on it that's pride, arrogance, but over here, low self-esteem. It's the same stick. It's just an opposite end. I believe that pride in its simplest definition, and you can define it in many ways, but the simplest way, it just means self-centeredness, selfishness, self-dependency. And you can be centered on yourself as being you're better than everybody else, or you can be centered on yourself as being that you're worse than everybody else. But it's, it's your selfishness, self-centeredness, that is the source of all grief in your life. You know, that is a huge statement, which again, I know that the vast majority of people probably discount that and think, well, that's not true. I encourage you to get this little booklet. It's a part of this whole package that we're doing on uh, harnessing your emotions. But I tell you, this is a deal changer. This would absolutely change your life. And I encourage you to get it. This right here is the worth of price of this entire package. But you need to understand that only by pride cometh contention. The only thing that makes you angry is not what people are doing to you. It's what's on the inside of you that makes you so sensitive, so insecure, that people's criticism of you is having that impact. 
Boy, those are big statements. Here in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 5, it says, Everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Though hand joined in hand, he shall not be punished. Again, most people, this is just totally new to them. They think, what's wrong with pride? Jesus said, or excuse me, God said here in the Old Testament that to be proud in heart, that is an abomination to the Lord. I've already used scriptures where it says, with the lowly is wisdom, but pride is what brings contention and strife. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 10. And so pride is an abomination to the Lord. The way that most people are living their life is an abomination to the Lord. Praise God for Jesus. Jesus has set us free from the punishment and the curse. If you're a Christian, God is not going to hate you, but He hates that pride, that arrogance, this self-esteem and promotion. goes on to say Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18, Pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Better it is to be of a humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. Boy, those are strong statements right there. You know, I saw a man, I'm not going to go into detail on this, but he was a minister. He was a television minister that had a worldwide ministry and everything, and then he fell. And when he did, it just sent shockwaves through the body of Christ. This is decades ago. And I remember he was going to go on television and give an explanation for what had happened. And I was listening, trying to figure out, God, how could this happen to a man who loves you and that you've used and that you've called into the ministry? How did this happen? And I was looking to learn something that would benefit me, that I could apply to my life. And he began to start saying things like he was reaching more people on television than anybody in the history of the world, which was a true statement. And he went on and just talked about what he was doing and all of this. And then he made the statement, he says, I was touching more lives than Jesus ever touched. And when he said that, it just like it knocked me back. And then his next statement was, I thought I could do anything. And then he talked about his failure. And when that happened, he said it in different words, but you know what he said? He says, I was lifted up in pride. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And I began to see right then why all of this happened. The moment you get into pride and you get to thinking you're awesome, the moment you get to reading your own press releases and you are just so impressed with yourself, you are headed for a fall. You need to constantly recognize that it's God who has given you anything that He's given you. You need to humble yourself and you need to constantly be reflecting all of the glory back to God, not taking it for yourself. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before fall. Proverbs 18, 12 says, Before destruction, the heart of man is haughty, and before honor is humility. Again, you could pair this with James chapter 4, uh, verse 6, I believe it is, and then 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5 or 6 around in there. It says that God resists the proud, but He gives grace unto the humble. Proverbs chapter 21, verse 4 says, A high look and a proud heart and the plowing of the wicked is sin. A proud heart is sin. You know, there's a lot of Christians that would never go out and commit adultery. They'd never go get drunk. They'd never do drugs. But man, they operate in pride. They are, it's all about themselves. They are self-centered. They are focused on themselves. And they never even look at that as being sin. Again, pride is no longer uh, a stigma 
in our society. You look at movie stars and they will sit there and just say things about themselves that you should never say. You know, the scripture says, let another man praise you and not your own lips, a stranger and not your own heart. You are supposed to let, you know, other people praise you, but you should not be self-promoting. Jesus said, he that speaks of himself seeks his own glory, but a true messenger will humble himself and glorify the one who sent him. Jesus didn't glorify himself. Jesus glorified his father every time he got a chance. Man, a proud look is sin. Proverbs 28, 25, He that is of a proud heart stirreth up strife, but he that putteth his trust in the Lord shall be made fat. You know, some of you are going to think I'm taking a huge leap here from these scriptures, but you put this together with Proverbs 13, 10, where it says, Only by pride cometh contention. And this verse, Proverbs 8, 28, 25, He that is of proud heart stirreth up strife, I believe I can accurately say based on the Word of God, these scriptures, that all of the hatred and the strife, the racial, racial tension that we see, all of the riots, all of the conflict that we see, it's just because people are so much about themselves. It's because of self-esteem. It's because of pride. It's because of them being focused on themselves. There are people, you know, there are minorities in this country that are making the majority suffer because they've got their individual rights. I do believe that we are supposed to honor people and we are supposed to treat them right, but I do not believe that we are supposed to have the tail wagging the dog. I do not believe that we're supposed to have minorities that are sitting here and forcing everybody else. Like I've seen reports where they're because of the American with Disabilities Act and again, I don't believe you're supposed to treat people with disabilities badly. I treat them good and we do things. But to legislate it, they have actually put people who have had businesses that have been in business for 20 and 30, 40 years, maybe generations that the business has been in the family. But when this American with Disabilities Act came out and they started forcing businesses to start putting in handicap wraps, handicap bathrooms, all of these things, uh, it has forced people out of business. And so they treat those businessmen who've had successful businesses for decades and they just aren't making enough money to be able to retrofit everything to the standards and they force them out of business. Why is that better to treat them badly than it is to have somebody with a disability not be able to have access to a bathroom or something? Now again, am I saying that we should treat People with disabilities, bad. No, but I'm saying that it's gotten to where we have this political correctness that we are, it's this pride, it's this arrogance. Some people are forcing the issue. You got to treat me right. And they make everybody else suffer so that they can be treated right. That's an ungodly attitude. Anyway, I could spend a lot more time on that. It says uh, in Proverbs 29, 23, A man's pride shall bring him low, but honor shall uphold the humble in spirit. Again, this is advocating humility over pride. Today, our society has flip-flopped this to where those that operate in pride are the ones that are on the magazine covers, the ones that are revered, the ones who make it on television and do all of this stuff, and they uh, strut their stuff and glorify themselves. I'm telling you, that's not God's system. In Daniel chapter 4, verse 37, this has to be one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible. And you have to get the background of this. 
that Nebuchadnezzar is a man who had basically conquered the known world. He was the most powerful man in the world. He made an image of gold to worship himself and made everybody else bow down to his image. And the three Hebrew children wouldn't do it because of it. He saw Jesus walking in the fire with these three Hebrew children. I believe that's Daniel chapter 3. You can go look it up. And anyway, he had had God speak to him. And then Daniel, the great man of God, came and interpreted a dream. And in this dream, there was this tree that was so huge, it, it grew and it filled the heavens. And it was just huge. It covered the entire earth. But then they came and cut it down, put a band of iron around the stump. And, uh, and so he had this dream. And he asked his wise man to interpret it. Nobody could. So they brought Daniel to him. And Daniel said, this tree is you. You're the king. You have filled the whole earth. You're the mightiest man. You've ruled over more people than anybody else ever has. But because of your pride and your arrogance, God is going to cut you down. And God is going to take this kingdom from you. But then he says, because there was this band of iron around the tree, that means that your kingdom is still going to be sure. And what's going to happen is for seven years, you're going to go out and you're going to eat grass like an animal. Your hair is going to grow to where it's like fur on an animal. Your fingernails are going to become like claws. You're going to be a stark, raving, mad maniac until you recognize that God is the one who gave you this power and all of this dominion. And sure enough, it came to pass exactly the way Daniel said. And I've, this isn't in the Bible, but I've read a secular account in a commentary that went back and they said that because of the prophecy of Daniel that Nebuchadnezzar's wife, the queen, was there when he gave this prophecy and the queen, based on Daniel's word that prophesied that Nebuchadnezzar would come back and would receive the kingdom, that she kept the kingdom going and kept somebody else from assuming the reign while these seven years were going. And Nebuchadnezzar went out and became like an animal, naked and eating grass and his fingernails like claws, his hair like fur. And after seven years, his reason returned unto him and he came back into the kingdom. His wife had kept the kingdom secure for him. He came back. They reinstated him as king. And then Nebuchadnezzar is the one who wrote Daniel chapter 4. And he, he's the one that reported all of this. He's the one that said that he became mad and that he ate grass like an ox. And then he makes this statement in Daniel chapter 4, verse 37, after his reason had come back to him and he had humbled himself. He says, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, all whose works are truth and his ways judgment. And those that walk in pride, he is able to abase. I think that has to be one of the biggest understatements in the entire Bible. Those who walk in pride, he is able to abase. Like uh, he makes you like an animal and go out and eat grass and you, you're naked and stark raving mad for seven years? I guess so. I mean, when you understand the background of this, this is one huge statement here. But it shows you that God does not take pleasure in us taking credit for all of the good things. And if you were to read the whole thing, the Lord told him, he says, it's God who gave you this. God gave you this kingdom so that he could execute judgment upon his nation of Israel for their forsaking him. God is the one that promoted 
Nebuchadnezzar, and yet Nebuchadnezzar didn't see God in it. He thought he had done this by his own might. And so God just took away from him his reason, made him act like an animal for seven years, and taught him that this is what you're like without me. Boy, there's a great lesson in this. How does this square with self-esteem? Boy, Nebuchadnezzar was patting himself on the back. He was enjoying it. It says that he beheld the hanging gardens of Babylon. It was considered one of the seven wonders of the world. And as he beheld all of his works and stuff, he says, look what my hand and my might hath built. And then there came a voice from heaven that says, it's done unto you. The kingdom is departed. And it was, it was tied to his pride. It was tied to his self-esteem, him glorifying himself. I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, there is a right way to think about yourself. I don't think you're supposed to hate yourself, but you are not supposed to be in to this self-esteem that is so embraced and promoted even in the church today. In Daniel chapter 5, verse 20, Daniel was talking to Nebuchadnezzar's son. And he was reminding him what happened to his, I think it was his son or his grandson, I'm not sure. But he says in Daniel chapter 5, verse 20, But when his heart, talking about Nebuchadnezzar, was lifted up and his mind hardened in pride, he was disposed from his kingly throne and they took his glory from him. And so Daniel right there in rehearsing this matter makes it clear that this all happened because of the pride of his heart. And I guarantee you, pride is in epidemic proportions in our country today. And it's being embraced and promoted. And I am coming here against self-esteem. And I'm saying that you should esteem who you are in Christ. You ought to, you ought to be into Christ esteem, your identity in Christ, but not value this carnal self and, and glory in all of your accomplishments. And I know what I'm saying is totally against our culture. Many people probably aren't going to get these materials. This is not something you want to be exposed to, but you need to hear it. It's the truth. Obadiah chapter 1 verse 3. This is a great passage of Scripture. It says, The pride of thine heart hath deceived thee. Thou that dwellest in the clefts of the rock, whose habitation is high, that said in his heart, Who shall bring me down to the ground? You know what this is talking about? It's talking about the people who lived in that area around Petra. If you've ever seen Petra, that city that was carved out of rocks and had that little narrow opening, and it looked impenetrable. And they just thought that they were awesome. And yet today, it's a ghost town. Today, it's a tourist attraction. Nobody lives there. That civilization was killed a long time ago, and it was because of the pride of their heart. This is the prophecy. And pride will deceive you. Pride gets you to thinking you can do anything when the truth is without Jesus, you can do nothing. John chapter 15, I believe it's either verse 4 or 5, Jesus said that, for without me, you can do nothing. Now, praise God, I'm never without Jesus. And so there's a balance here. Some people, see, have taken some of these truths and have gone to such an extreme that there's a backlash and people have just discounted this humble attitude. It's wrong to sit there and say that without Him we can do nothing. We are nothing. We have nothing. That would be true if you could ever be totally without Him. But He's never going to leave me nor forsake me. So it's not right for the New Testament believer to just come before God and say, Oh God, we are nothing. We have nothing. We can do nothing. Oh God, we are nothing. So you are advocating your position in Christ. 
and I don't advocate that. But it is true that if somehow or another you could just isolate yourself from who you are in Christ and the power and the authority that He's given you, well, on your own, you are a big zero with the rim knocked off. You are nothing. You can do nothing without Him. You need to recognize that. And you know, if you had this understanding, you wouldn't be so upset when you mess up. Some of you are just shocked. Like, I can't believe I did that. That's because you have an inflated opinion of yourself. Any one of us without the Lord is a fallen human being that is capable of messing up in multitudes of ways. You know, it's like flying in an airplane. You could sit there and think, man, I'm awesome. I'm flying at 35,000 feet. I'm going five or 600 miles an hour. Look what I'm doing. Well, you just inflated your opinion of yourself. You aren't doing anything. All you're doing is sitting in that plane. That plane is what's allowed you to do this. And if you don't believe it, step outside of that plane and see how well you fly. Amen. <laughs> Without that plane, you can't fly. Without Jesus, we can do nothing. And you need to have this apparent contradiction in balance. That without Jesus, I can do nothing. But through Christ, I can do all things. Some people think, well, which is it? It's both. By myself, if you could somehow or another divorce me from God and all of His influence in my life, I can fail. I can be as big of a mess as anybody else. And, and I'm aware of that. And so when I do mess up, it doesn't devastate me. It doesn't surprise me because I knew that that's who I am without Christ. But I've not only got that truth, I've also got the truth over here that I'm a new person in Christ and that through Him, I can do all things. And most people see those as opposing forces. No, they're complementary forces. It's necessary. It says over, I believe it's in Isaiah chapter 50. Uh, it could be chapter 51, but it's right there. It says, you that are seeking after righteousness, look to the rock from which you are hewn and to the hole of the pit from which you are digged. You know what that's talking about? The rock from which you are hewn is talking about Jesus. There's a number of scriptural examples that showed he's this rock that was made without hands and stuff. And that's talking about look to who you are in Christ and to the hole of the pit from which you're digged. You need to remember where you came from. You need to remember that without Jesus, you are nothing. But you need to at the same time keep that in balance that I'm not without Jesus and that through Christ, I can do all things. Very few people connect these two things that are look like opposing forces and yet you don't have proper balance if you don't connect them. If all you do is start thinking about, I can do all things, pretty soon it it'll be that you leave off the uh, through Christ who strengthens me and you'll just, I can do all things. It's all me. I'm awesome. No, you need to keep in mind that without Him, you can do nothing. John chapter 15. And see, those two things, without Him, I can do nothing, but I can do all things through Christ. Those things need to be kept in balance to keep you sane and to keep you from getting lifted up with pride and arrogance and start promoting yourself. Man, those are powerful statements. Let me use this verse out of Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4 and 5. It says, Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. Yea, also, because he transgresseth by wine, he is a proud man, neither keepeth at home, who enlargeth his desire as hell, 
and is as death, and cannot be satisfied, but gathereth unto him all nations, and heapeth unto him all people. Anyway, it'd take a while to put this in context, but you can see that being lifted up in pride is not a positive thing. It's being spoken against. Here's New Testament scriptures on this. In Mark chapter 7, Jesus said, For within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile the man. Jesus was the one that gave this list and he put pride right there with murder, fornication, adultery, wickedness, lasciviousness, and all of these things. Again, today, you know, pride is in some ways um, emulated. It's, it's desirable. People like it. You know, I, I'm not trying to criticize anybody, but the first time in my experience that pride was just, you know, really promoted and that even the facade of humility was forsaken and thrown aside. From my perspective and my memory, when Muhammad Ali, Ali came out and I am the greatest. I mean, that was just so far removed from anything that I had ever heard or seen before that. Prior to that time, even if people thought they were the greatest, they wouldn't have said it. But boy, Muhammad Ali came out and just, I am the greatest. And he began to promote himself and he was swelled up with pride. And did you know that because he was the number one boxer in the world and he made all of this money and and all of these things, I mean, it, became to, it began to be popular. And today, there's people that I guarantee you, they will sit there and toot their own horn. They will sit there and promote themselves. Pride is now actually embraced and looked at as a positive thing. And, but, but that's not what the Scripture is saying. Jesus put it in the same category as murder, adultery, and all of these other wicked things. In Romans chapter 1, verse 28, it's, this is descriptive of the end times talking about people who walk away from the Lord and things that they do. And it says in Romans 1, 28, And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. And if you were to read this in its context, this, this fits our society today to a T. In verse 29, it says, "...being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God that they that which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. Again, if, if the Bible means anything to you, hopefully you can see that the way we promote self, and it's all about self-esteem, and you've got to feel good about yourself, and you are the greatest, and you, you have to, in a relative term, put yourself above other people. That is contrary to what these verses are saying. This list, that pride, which is indulgence in self-esteem, as one of these traits that brings the total rejection of God. 
Those are strong statements. Romans 12, 3, I've already used this, but it says, For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. Again, you could take what I'm saying right here and you could go to an extreme to where you just hate yourself and you live with guilt and condemnation. That's not what I'm saying. But you do need to think soberly and not exalt yourself above what is the right thing to do. And sad to say, most people live with an exalted opinion of self. It's encouraged and it's not the right way to live. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 6, Actually, verses 1 through 5 are giving a list of all of the sins that are current today. And it says in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 6, these are the qualifications of an elder. It says that he cannot be a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. So one of the qualifications of an elder is that they can't be a person who's operating in pride. I tell you again, if we were to go by the word, there's a lot of people leading our churches today that would disqualify. They would be disqualified because of the pride, the way that they promote themselves, the way that they brag on themselves, the way that they compare themselves with others. I tell you, that's, a, that's quite a statement, but it is absolutely true. We've got a lot of proud, arrogant people in the ministry. And I know that to some degree this is subjective. There's probably people sitting there criticizing me and saying the same thing about me. And I don't know that any of us have a handle on this. It's not like you just are perfect in these areas. But um, I tell you, there are some people that are just out to promote themselves. They are not glorifying the Lord. And that's the reason that we have so many people fall. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 16 says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And there's a lot of people falling because of those very things. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, it says in verse 3, If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions, and strife of words. The word doting here is just talking about an undue emphasis, a preoccupation or a, an obsession with questions and strife of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings, and on and on it goes and talks about it. But this right here talks about he is proud, knowing nothing. Man, there's so many scriptures. You know, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1, I believe it is, it says knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. The word puffs up is talking about pride. Knowledge taught, tends to make people feel superior and get to where they exalt themselves above what is uh, normal, what is appropriate and stuff, and it makes them know nothing. He is proud knowing nothing. Man, those are strong statements. Look at this in 2 Timothy chapter 3. This is descriptive of our life today. This is just like you were reading the newspapers today. Here is uh, what it describes will happen in the end time. Listen to this, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves. Man, this is descriptive of where we are today. People loving their own selves, covetous, 
boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despiters, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof from such turn away. This is just like you. You could take the paper wherever you are. You could take today's paper and read in the first section of it and you could find every single thing listed right here being reported over and over multiple times. This is so descriptive of our generation. And it says that this is a sign of the end times. In the last days, this is what's going to happen. It lists being lovers of themselves. It puts proud right in there as an evil thing. People that are high-minded and lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. All of this is descriptive of this self-esteem, self-promotion, self-exaltation. This does not square with Scripture. In James chapter 4, this is a powerful passage of Scripture, verse 6, But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. And this same thing is repeated in 1 Peter chapter 5, where it says in verse 5, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that He may exalt you in due time, casting all of your care upon Him, for He careth for you. Man, these are powerful passages. I could spend a lot of time on this, but when it says that God resists the proud, the word resist. This is talking about that He sets His nature against. You know, compare this with what Jesus said in Matthew. I'm going to have to turn over. I didn't write this one down, but in Matthew chapter 11, this is Jesus speaking. The last verses of Matthew chapter 11. And Jesus said this, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek, and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Boy, think about this. Jesus was God in the flesh. If anybody ever had a right to promote themselves and glorify themselves, it would be Jesus. And yet Jesus said that I am meek and lowly in heart. That's the nature of God. You know, most people, this doesn't even square with them. It's like God is this awesome, almighty, all-powerful being, which all of those things are true. And yet His nature is that He's actually meek and lowly of heart. You know, if I would have been God, and if I came to the earth in a human form, and if I was going to die for people, I guarantee you I would not have announced my birth to a group of shepherds that were just keeping a few sheep out there. I'd have gone to the king. I'd have gone to somebody important, a high priest. I'd have gone to somebody who was influential and I'd have made myself known. But you know what? God is actually a meek and lowly God at heart. He is not self-promoting. And I know that some people, this is hard for them to grab hold of. You know, when I rose from the dead... 
Instead of appearing to Mary Magdalene, a woman who had been demon-possessed and had seven demons cut, cast out of her, instead of appearing to her first, I would have gone and have appeared to Herod. Or I'd have stood at Pilate's bed and I'd have shook his bed and said, Pilate, are your hands clean now? I'd have gone to those uh, soldiers that blindfolded him and then spit in his face and slapped him and mocked him and said, if you're the Christ, prophesy, tell us who we are. Man, I'd have appeared to them and I said, let me tell you something. You know, all Jesus would have had to have done is just hover over the city of Jerusalem and let everybody see him because they had all seen him crucified. They had all seen him die. He could have made them bow the knee, but that is not the nature of God. There is not one single instance of Jesus appearing to a non-believer after he was raised from the dead. The only people he appeared to were people who had already believed in him. They may have struggled in their faith. They may have wavered, but he didn't appear to anybody and force them to believe. God's not like that. God could make a cloud pass over that has your name spelled in it. He could have a dog walk by and bark out exactly what you're supposed to do, call you by name and say, go here, do this. God could do all of these supernatural things, but it says in Hebrews 11:6, without faith, it's impossible to please Him. God wants you to respond to just the conviction, the wooing of His Spirit and respond in faith. He is not going to force you. I had a drill sergeant in the army who I was witnessing to and this guy just blasphemed and mocked God. And he was saying, if there's a God, just strike me dead right now and we'll all believe that there's a God. And he stood there and waited for a second and he said, see, there isn't any God. If there was a God, he'd just strike me dead. And you know the way I responded to him, I said, you're like a grasshopper sitting on a railroad track saying, if there's really a railroad, then just let them run over me. And I said, you aren't even important enough for them to dispatch a train to come out here and run over you. I said, the very fact that God didn't strike you dead doesn't prove that He doesn't exist. It just shows His mercy and grace. But see, there's people that they just think that somehow or another God if He was God, that He would do all of these things. No, God is meek and lowly of heart and He came in subtle ways because He wants us to respond in faith. And so, you plug this back in with James 4 and 1 Peter chapter 5. God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. If you are a born-again believer, God's not mad at you. He's not against you, but His whole nature and character and therefore His kingdom and everything that He does operates through humility. And if you're in pride, if you are exalting yourself and thinking you're better than everybody else and looking down your religious nose and condemning people that aren't where you are, God's whole kingdom is set against that. God doesn't promote that. Some people have a hard time with this. Well, I thought that God loved me just the way that I am. He does. But he, His grace, it, it abounds. It, this right here says He giveth more grace. If you can give more grace, you can give less grace. Now, grace is unmerited, unearned. There's nothing you can do. It's not that if you live holy, God gives you more grace as a result of your holiness. No, grace comes to everybody. It says in Titus chapter 2, verse 11, that the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared unto all men. And so God's grace comes to everybody on an unearned, undeserved basis. But 
it does have to be received. And you have to humble yourself to receive it. When it comes to the initial born again experience, did you know you have to humble yourself to be saved? If you maintain that, hey, I'm really a good person. I don't really need this. God's going to have to accept me because I am so good relative to everybody else. See, that's pride. That's self-esteem. That's exalting yourself. You have to humble yourself and recognize that I don't care if you are a relative good sinner compared to somebody else. Who wants to be the best sinner that ever went to hell? We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. You cannot stand before God and promote yourself and stand on your own goodness. If you do, that's pride. So to receive this grace that brings salvation, it isn't based on your works, but you do have to humble yourself and admit that I can't save myself. I need a Savior. You've got to do that. It says in, I, in John chapter 5, verse 44, Jesus was speaking and He says, How can you believe? which receive honor one of another and seek not the honor that comes from God alone. He said that if you are after honor, if you are promoting yourself, trying to esteem yourself or getting others to esteem you, you cannot believe. Part of faith is humility. You have to humble yourself. You have to quit trusting in yourself and your own goodness and you have to trust in God. God gives grace to the humble, but He resists the proud. Now, let me ask you, which side of this equation do you want to be on? Do you really want God to be resisting you? Do you want His whole kingdom against you? There are some people right now that everything in your life is falling apart and you think God is doing this to me. No, God's not the one who's punishing you, but his, all of His blessings, His whole kingdom operates off of humility and humbling yourself and coming before God and receiving things as a gift by grace. And if you are sitting there promoting yourself and trusting in yourself and depending upon yourself, you are the one that's destroying yourself. You are the one that's making it hard on you. It goes on to say in 1 Peter chapter 5, it says, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that He may exalt you in due time. And verse 7 says, Casting all of your care upon Him for He careth for you. These aren't disconnected verses. The way you humble yourself is by casting your care over on the Lord. If you are worried about things, if it feels like, man, I've got to do something, something's going to happen, I need a miracle today, and if you are worried and bothered about it, you aren't humble. You haven't cast your care over on the Lord. You have taken the responsibility and you feel that it's up to you to get something done. You know, I just had a situation where, man, I had a deadline, needed some money, and I just wasn't worried about it, never have had any care about it. And I mean, at the 12th hour, boom, God comes through. And I can tell you that's humbling yourself. That's making myself dependent upon God. I can't produce the money that I need. I just have to depend upon God. So you need to humble yourself. And there's other scriptures here. I wish I had time to go through all of these, but praise God. My point is that the modern day teaching on self-esteem, self-promotion, pride is counter to what the Word of God teaches. 